transmitting live from the top of the Empire State Building on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area. This is a special one-hour edition of Trump Watch, a weekly series investigating the actions of and reactions to President Donald J. Trump and his administration. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. We have very specific work to do. People are counting on us. You know the names. They've already told you and you know who's hurting. Even though many of you may turn a blind eye, you know who is hurting in this nation. Don't come to this rally today and sit here with your pink hat on, saying that you're with us and you're nowhere to be found when black people ask you to show up That was Women's March National Co-Chair Tamika Mallory speaking at the Power to the Polls rally in Las Vegas. That was the nexus of Sunday's Women's March in Las Vegas, YouTube footage courtesy of Das Mogul. Obviously, there were hundreds of similar protests in cities and towns across America and the world. But while for countless Americans, Sunday's march was an empowering act of standing up for women, some women of color like my guest, Taylor Washington Harmon, have reported feeling marginalized by the way the movement has been run and chose to sit Sunday out completely. Hello and welcome to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. My guest, Taylor, wrote the January 21st article for Self, where she's the associate social media manager, entitled Not My Pussycat Hat, Why I Didn't Participate in the Women's March This Year. I should say here that the article isn't actually called Not My Pussycat Hat, but an abbreviated form of that that I'm sure that you are familiar with if you're over the age of 11, but that the FCC will not allow us to say. For the rest of the show, we'll be using Pussycat Hat to stand in for the shorter band terminology. Now back to the subject at hand. Uh... Though New York City saw estimated crowds of 200,000 and in Los Angeles, 600,000 demonstrators participated in the Women's March, according to the New York Times, the 1.6 million people that the march brought out nationally was a far cry from last year's estimated numbers of over 4 million demonstrators coming out for the first ever Women's March. Though 250 cities and towns participated, according to Salon, Even the most optimistic numbers I've seen reported by Vox that 2.5 million people turned up for Sunday's march is still a major decline. What happened to the more than a million additional protesters who turned up for the Women's March in 2017? Has rage for President Trump, widely seen as a major reason for the massive turnout for the Women's March last year, really subsided that much? 
This seems unlikely, considering that the president's approval ratings are at record lows, with only 39 percent of Americans approving of the job President Trump is doing in office, according to an NBC Wall Street Journal poll released Friday. Some activists have pointed to the pink pussycat hat itself as part of the problem with some members of the LGBTQ community pointing out that not all trans women have the female genitalia expressed on the hat. Others, like Nikki Lopez, were offended that the root causes that created Trump weren't addressed in the march. Many participants in the Women's March both last year and this year in Philly and beyond marched marched against Trump and his administration, Lopez wrote in an op-ed published Monday by the Philadelphia Inquirer, They did not march against systemic racism, hypercapitalism, deliberate neglect of the poor, militarism or imperialism, all of which are the root reasons why these statistics exist. Trump and his administration are symbolic of the many systemic forms of oppression, but these oppressions have existed for a long time, regardless of who has been in the White House. I didn't march on Saturday because, as a queer Latinx person, I'm exhausted in my relationships with white women and allies. She goes on to describe having her concerns over what the pink hat symbolized dismissed as her only being divisive. For my guest, Taylor Washington Harmon, it was an image of a pink pussycat hat on top of the Harriet Tubman Memorial in Harlem that epitomized the misunderstandings at the center of the Women's March. It also led her to write in her self-article, Not My Pussycat Hat, Why I Didn't Participate in the Women's March This Year, that, quote, in good faith, I imagine the person responsible felt it was a sweet gesture to place this unofficial symbol of the Women's March on the head of Tubman, a historical figure highly influential in the liberation of black Americans, and considered it a worthy symbol of women's rights in 2018. But in my opinion, as a black woman and feminist, this couldn't be further from the truth. Joining me now live in the studio is Talon Washington Harmon. Hi, Talon. Thank you very much for being here. Hi, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you. (laughs) And I should say right here at the top that as a white cis male, the last thing I would want to do is imply that I'm some arbiter over what the feminist movement is or what feminism is uh, or even what the Women's March is or should be. I had Tabitha St. Bernard Jacobs, Youth Initiative Coordinator for the Women's March on as one of my first guests last year. And I personally value anyone out there fighting the good fight. But on this show, as well as on WBAI and Pacifica in general, one of our core objectives is to offer activists a place to share non-mainstream views and even challenge each other as they strive to improve this country and the world at large. Today's show will be the first in a series of shows we'll be doing to engage feminists across the generations to reflect on what the Trump administration means for the movement and what the future holds for the highly effective Me Too movement. So keep tuning in for more on this issue. Now, that being said, let's get back to the Harriet Tubman statue. Taylor Washington Harmon, what was it that was struck you as so wrong about a pink pussycat hat on Harriet Tubman's statue? So I already figured that the 
pink pussycat hat was already a rather uninclusive symbol or unofficial symbol of the Women's March. It was created as a response to Donald Trump's um, grab them by the you know what um, case. And it was very creative in a means. And I do think that at the time it was appropriate, but co-opting it as an official symbol or unofficial symbol of the Women's March was deeply problematic because it wasn't very inclusive of women whose vaginas are, say, not pink, as well as women who do not have vaginas. And otherwise, to place this unofficial symbol of very anatomically focused, um, white-centric, heteronormative um, just feminism on top of this black revolutionary's head, whereas if she was even included in the first or second waves of feminism, she would probably be placed in the back because she was a black woman. Yeah, expand on that a little bit. That's something that I think a lot of white people, certainly that I've encountered, don't realize just how marginalized a lot of women of color were in the early days of the feminist movement. And we're talking about the suffragettes here in the early 20th century. Yes. So back in the 20s, when women were fighting for suffrage, say um, I mentioned Ida B. Wells. She was a journalist and founder of one of the first black newspapers in the United States. She was also marching for suffrage, but she was not allowed to march in the forefront with the other popular suffragettes like Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And I don't know if this is popular knowledge, but Elizabeth Cady Stanton was in fact a racist. And so Ida B. Wells had to march amongst other black women and in the back. And I always question that when it comes to um, just feminist marches in general and the ones that I have attended in the past or have been a part of. They were very um, white and heterosexual led. And I always wondered, like, why are these voices of women of color, gender nonconforming women, always pushed to the forefront or otherwise ignored simply because we're a minority? Let's jump back in time a year. Uh, did you go to the original Women's March back in 2017? I unfortunately was not able to make it to the Women's March, but I was able to somewhat march in spirit through my friends. And I was perfectly in love with the concept of the Women's March back in 2017. I thought it was an excellent response to um, the election of Donald Trump and just how much women and just people with vaginas had to face um, at that time because we were afraid, we were worried about what could happen to our reproductive justice, what could happen to our health care. So it was a really great response and the numbers were fantastic. But I feel as if that has morphed primarily in the satellite marches. I thought that the Women's March in Las Vegas was definitely what was needed for this year due to systemic voter suppression that led to Donald Trump being elected. We'll get to the Las Vegas uh, event in a minute, but I want to linger on the point you were talking about before where you said that things got a little bit muddled. When was the first time you remember suspecting that there might be a problem uh, with, with the march? I suspected that there was a problem with the march when I saw just the overwhelming amount of just anti-Trump signage and anti-Trump just general gestures. And in reality, Donald Trump is only part of the problem. And in America, there's a much deeper um there's so much like deep, like systemic oppression of women, of gender nonconforming individuals, of black people, people of color all over. And 
I want to know, would these women or would all of these people that came out be marching if Hillary Clinton had been elected? Because these issues don't magically go away just by having a woman president. You know, it's interesting you say that because even at the time, as I mentioned, I had uh, Tabitha St. Bernard Jacobs, one of the one of the um, national um, organizers on. But here on Trump Watch, the goal of this show is to talk about things that are directly uh, tied to the Trump administration. And while there might be some people yelling at their radios right now saying, well, yes, that was the march. That was what it was all about, at least in 2017. But at least according to the people at the top, that was not what it was about. It was not an anti-Trump march. Uh, it wasn't even uh, a march uh, that was rooted in what I think many folks would consider core feminist issues like, uh, you know, the right to choose. Uh, there were uh, right to life women who I, I think ended up pulling out of the march, but were going to be allowed to march. Do you see any problem? Is that a part of this for you? The, the sort of um, all-inclusive big tent to the detriment of some of the core issues uh, that have always defined the feminist movement? So I, I think I'm a little bit confused by your question. So are you essentially saying that um, the reaction to Donald Trump or the fact that the march not in itself was not an anti-Trump march? Exactly. What I'm saying is... The fact that the organizers, and I believe, please correct me if I'm if I'm getting this wrong, but I believe still go out of their way to say this is not an anti-Trump march. I guess my question is, do you think that was a mistake? Would you feel differently about the Women's March if they had come out and said, this is an anti-Trump march? I would not feel very different because the Women's March in itself should not be against just one specific president. It should be against the systemic oppression that impact all peoples to some degree, and that goes deeper than who's just running our government. You write in your piece, um, getting back to the, uh, the Power to the Polls event in Las Vegas, um, that you would have con considered attending um, that event where uh, Tamika Mallory delivered the speech we heard at the t in the clip at the top of the show. Beyond Mallory's powerful speech, what do you think separated this demonstration from the other women's marches around the country, that, some of which you obviously found to be problematic? Well, one, the rally that happened in Las Vegas, it wasn't an official march. I think this was an excellent um, form of activism because it actually sparked action and change. It's launching a nationwide tour of communities that are impacted by systemic voter suppression laws, which is very key because due to these laws, a lot of people of color missed out on getting their vote in. And who knows, the votes against Donald Trump may have been higher. The votes against Hillary Clinton may have been higher. We will never know because these voices were suppressed. So I felt as if this rally was inherently important and key versus the satellite marches, which I'm not totally sure have ins inspired or sparked any other massive movement as outside of the main organization of the Women's March. I want to get into the core um, the core ideas uh, in your piece and what you see as the main problem in the way that the Women's March organizers have interacted with women of color? Yes. Um, so one key point that I made is that you cannot care about health care for women and people with vaginas without addressing the deep issues that 
often occur regarding to these issues. So say, for instance, I mentioned black maternal death. And we know recently that Erica Garner, the daughter of Eric Garner, she passed away not too far long after giving birth. And like the rates for women of color, not particularly women of color, but black women in general, maternal death rates are three to four times higher than white women. And I want to know, like, if you're so concerned about vaginas and equal access to health care for women with vaginas, why aren't we talking about this? And also even those without vaginas or who may have vaginas, I cannot assume um, all trans women do or do not have vaginas. But they're being killed and sexually assaulted at alarming rates. And it's it's unbelievable. Like we need to be able to speak out and talk about the womanhood of all women and regardless of how it looks or how it appears or whether you totally agree with it or not. Let's follow that to a sort of more tangible conclusion. What are some of the ways that you would like to see the folks in the Women's March, the, the people at the top, should I say the women uh, who organized the Women's March at the national level, what are some of the things they could do to address some of the things that you were just mentioning? I definitely think that what Tamika Mallory said was just completely spot on, and I agreed with her 3,000%. Don't just say you stand with me now in this moment, in this march, in this rally, and then stand on my neck at work or in the doctor's office or on the street or ignore our cries for help when we say Black Lives Matter, say our name, um, say her name. Don't ignore us and please just put your words into action don't just say you want to do this or you will do this but aren't willing to do the work and it seems as if black women and women of color and trans women and all women of the lgbtq movement have been doing our hardest to educate and share our standpoints and we're either brushed off or made it seem as if we're divisive. And the last thing we want to do is be divisive. We want to all stand together, but we can't stand together if you're not willing to listen. You know, that was a really, uh, it's a really fascinating point. And it, 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 to me, it echoes the point that I was talking about before uh, that was made by Nikki Lopez in that uh, Philadelphia Inquirer piece, that it isn't even as much of the insult as feeling like something like the pink pussycat hat is reductive or excluding certain people, but it's the idea that to even criticize the hat, to criticize any part of the movement, you're just written off as being divisive or being a pain in the neck and just just kind of asked to go away. Would you think do you think that's accurate? Yes, I think that's totally accurate. That's the thing. I honestly prefer the term feminisms rather than feminism with a capital F because every person has their own unique experience of womanhood and every woman has their own unique experience along gender lines, racial lines, religious lines. So what feminism looks like to me will not look like feminism to, you know, a Saudi Arabian woman or a conservative Jewish woman. So just the fact that we need to be aware that we're not we're all fighting a similar battle, but not the same battle.
You're listening to Trump Watch with Jesse Lent on WBAI New York. I'm speaking with Taylor Washington Harmon. She wrote the self-article, Not My Pussycat Hat, Why I Didn't Participate in the Women's March This Year. And we all know that uh, actually there's one extra word in that pussycat hat that we have to add because of FCC rules. Well, Taylor Washington Harmon, since it is in the title of your op-ed, how important do you believe the controversy over the pink pussycat hats is? I feel as if I would not have thought that the hat was as controversial until I saw it on Harriet Tubman's head. Um, that that gesture honestly symbolized to me a co-opting of white feminism onto a black historical figure. And just going back into her history, I don't I personally do not feel as if Harriet Tubman would be a good mascot for the Women's March. She literally put her life on the line to liberate individuals. And I'm not sure how many of these women activists or not would be willing to go to her extent to liberate people and just fight for injustice. So the fact that you had the audacity to put that hat on top of her head, like it's just absolutely absurd. And there's a total false equivalence there. Do you think that part of this is just an issue of not knowing history that if everyone at the Women's March had the kind of depth of knowledge that you clearly have about the history of feminism in this country and the history of the civil rights movement in this country, do you think that a lot of these issues would be resolved? That That's the most interesting part because I feel as if we all learn about Harriet Tubman in you know our elementary school history classes. We know that she started the Underground Railroad, which helped liberate hundreds and thousands of African Americans in the South. And... I'm not sure how her, like, just her place in history would align with the, the feminism movement or the Women's March today, aside from that she was a very prominent um, woman in history. Well, since this is a political show, how do you believe President Trump has changed the feminist movement in the U.S. if you believe that he has? Honestly, I don't feel as if he's changed it, but rather just brought it more to the forefront. And it 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 makes me wonder how many women identify as feminist, but also voted for Trump. And that goes into a point that I made in my article about how the majority of women of color voted for Hillary Clinton and 55% of white women voted for Trump. So chances are all of these women know someone who voted for Trump or somewhat um, identifies with with his views or his viewpoints. And I want to know, like, what are they doing outside of this march to talk to these people, their relatives, their friends, their lovers, etc., about um, just the clear and present danger that President Donald Trump has placed in this, on this country. And this is in contrast to the 98% of women, African-American women, uh, who helped elect Doug Jones in Alabama. Uh, talk a little bit about that aspect of this argument as well. And this is, I, I think, another point you allude to in your article, the idea that African-Americans, continue, and specifically African-American women, continue to be expected to kind of save the Democratic Party when white women are voting either majority for Republican or at least right on the 50% mark. Yes, so... 
the the most interesting thing that always happens to me when I explain that something is racist I'm always expected to educate and I feel as if women of color we deal with this mental and just physical labor of educating those about our struggle and it's made into television shows and movies and books and I'm like you we really can't keep explaining it anymore like it's it's everywhere you know what we go through you see it all the time and for you to always ask how is that racist or how is that offensive it just kind of blows my mind a little bit so um the that's why the harriet tubman symbol is even stronger for me because we can't we can't keep doing this you can't place your movement on our back and then expect us to liberate you we can't do that what specifically would the Women's March organizers have to do to get you to attend the 2019 march? What the Women's March organizers? How would the, yes, how would the Women's March have to change in order for you to consider going next year? What they would have to do is just continue to have a clear and present agenda and course of action after the rally. The rally is great it's a it's a great marker of knowing that yes there are people out here who support these causes but rally without action is it's it's not it's like faith without works is dead essentially so if you're all here and present and kind of talking in our own little you know circle not much is changing you're preaching to the choir but if you're not going out and doing the work that requires to make present present changes, whether that's calling your politicians, going into communities, donating to certain charities, or just in general taking time out of your busy life in like for the work of eliminating the struggle and working towards injust and working towards justice, then there's really no point. In the end of the article, you come down not completely opposed to the march, uh, writing, quote, if the election taught us anything, equal access to voting in the United States is crucial for progress to be made in gender and racial equality. Though the Women's March isn't perfect, the continued creation and support of events like Power to the Polls will prove that it is still an indispensable movement needed to influence our government, not just a day of performative activism made pretty pink and Instagram friendly. So which is it? Do you believe the Women's March is worth attending or is it a failed operation with its heart in the right place? I definitely believe that the Women's March is worth attending, but it's all about the heart of the participants. So if your heart is not in this movement, if your heart is not in this activism, then the Women's March truly isn't for you. Whether you're attending the march for the first time I, I applaud you. I salute you. You are doing a great job. And if you're really interested in this work, by all means, continue this work and do what's necessary. But if you're only attending as a means of showing off your cutesy little sign on Instagram or wearing your hat and feeling as if, yay, women's solidarity, but then going back and staying silent about the wage gap and how, you know, a white woman can make 72 cents to a white man's dollar while women of color make even less than that or um, just being silent or being dismissive of sexual assault claims, then you're not being helpful at all. Are there ways that you believe the major news outlets get the Women's March wrong when they cover it? I wouldn't say they 
always get it wrong, but I feel as if it's overwhelmingly aesthetics focused. Like I never would have known what the basis of the Women's March for this year would have been unless I actually went to the Women's March website and understood that power to the polls was the theme. It's not just we're all congregating together as women about a variety of issues. And at the end of the day, yes, everyone is marching for their own reasons, be it against police brutality or um, sexual assault or um, maternal death or access to health care. Like everyone marches for their own reasons and that's good. But having a clear set agenda, I think, is very important in launching a successful protest or successful activation. You're listening to Trump Watch with Jesse Lent on WBAI New York. I'm speaking with Taylor Washington Harmon. This is a special hour-long episode. She wrote the self-article, Not My Pussycat Hat, Why I Didn't Participate in the Women's March This Year. We're going to take a, a quick break, but in the second half hour of the show, uh, Taylor will be sticking around and we'll be taking your calls on the subject we've just been talking about, uh, about the Women's March and if it has marginalized women of color. And in fact, now let's say women, particularly women of color, uh, please go ahead and call in at 347-335-0818. Again, that's 347-335-0818. Especially if you've never called WBAI uh, before, we'd love to hear from you. This is for women of color, uh, or if you're a woman who attended the Women's March and you want to weigh in on this, it looks like we have a caller, but um, we're going to go to a quick break now. Back in a minute with more with Taylor Washington Harmon. Welcome back to Trump Watch with Jesse Lent on WBAI New York. I'm speaking with Taylor Washington Harmon, who wrote the self-article, uh, Not My Pussycat Hat, Why I Didn't Participate in the Women's March This Year. And I believe we have our first caller. Caller, please say your name and where you're calling from. Thanks so much for calling. Hi, uh, my name is Sheree Ragland. I live in Nyack, New York. Um, right up from Manhattan, and I participated in the first march. I, I crocheted a hat, six hats. I wore one. My daughter, all my uh, friends, and marched. And it was a big deal. But in the end, nothing, nothing did really happen. But it felt important to speak out against uh, Trump's language about women. This year, I didn't really understand the point of the march because, as Ms. Harmon mentioned, uh, you wouldn't have known from the pictures. It seems like a big photo op. I, a lot of women went, took their pictures. And I don't know if any of them actually understand that they need to also act, as in, as she mentioned, uh, call a politician. So I do emails and I um, email politicians and call them and get involved in the actual work of, of trying to change things. I've been an activist for a lot of years, but I just didn't see the point of going to do a photo op at a march that I didn't see what the point was if it was going to change. So I think there's a lot of community pressure, though, that you need to show other people around you that you care. And I think women need to not fall into that, and they need to actually take the time and do the action, the activism that will actually make a difference. And so for me this year, for a lot of people, voting, 
you got to vote. So it's great that the march meant to um, emphasize that, but it didn't really come across. As she said, it's a lot of photo ops and people sending pictures with themselves and their daughters or whatever, and so they show their friends they were there. But the action is what really counts, and so that's what we need to focus on. Taylin, is there anything you'd like to say? Right. That is totally true. Action is what we need to focus on. And I just want to um, mention that it's not particularly the problem that I have with the hat. Like if you feel as if you identify with this hat and you want to wear it, by all means, wear it. I just found it as when it was on top of Harriet Tubman's head that it was a means of imposing that specific brand of feminism and that specific brand of activism onto her. And that is just not a good look or a good move at all. Thank you so much for calling. And if you'd like to weigh in on this subject, give us a call at 347-335-0818. If you're a woman who attended the Women's March, uh, especially if you're a woman of color, we'd love uh, to hear from you. And um, Taylan, you know, something that you said when we were uh, talking earlier that, that particularly struck me was just the idea of that instead of feminism, that perhaps there should be an S at the end of that uh, at the end of that word, because this this is something that maybe is not the same for everyone. Yes. So I'm not sure if you've read any of the works of Alice Walker, but in the 80s, she coined the term womanism. And how she described womanism from feminism is feminism is to purple and womanism is to lavender. So womanism is representative, particularly of black women and black feminism. And so black feminism for, say, for me, I think about it as just defeating colorism within the black community, which is often a, a plague of ours. And um, just also defeating Eurocentric beauty standards and not feeling as if I have to use skin lightening products or straighten my hair or look and present a specific way because I am a black woman and I work in a predominantly white field. And these are just simply struggles that are unique to black women or um, other women of color who may have faced this. So to say that feminism in a broad manner is representative of that would be totally untrue. So it is perfectly fine to feel as if you don't fit under this perfect umbrella of what a woman's struggle is supposed to be. I'm speaking with Taylor Washington Harmon. If you'd like to chime in on this conversation, give us a call at 347-335-0818. Again, that's 347-335-0818. And we're talking about the Women's March and if uh, it has been marginalizing for uh, people of color, uh, for specifically for women of color, but really anyone who wants to weigh in on this subject, go ahead and give us a call. The number is 347 335 0818. And something else that you were saying before, Taylor, was about the need to stay activated uh, year round. That, um, you know, that if the Women's March was going to be around a, a year round type of thing, that you would be a lot more likely to support it. 
Well, I wouldn't say the Women's March needs to be year-round, but there needs to be some kind of year-round activation around it, which I think the main Women's March is definitely employing. A year-round tour of impacted communities um, relating to systemic voter suppression, that's, that's excellent. That's a fantastic start, and it's a perfect leap into getting where we need to be in America's political climate. So if you're attending for a day, then yes, what you did worked for a day. But if you're, it doesn't even have to be on a massive scale. It could just simply be talking to people and having dialogue with people who may not totally agree with your views. Say a lot of us are in, I guess, what we would call like little microcosms or bubbles of people who agree with us. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of a defense mechanism. You know, you don't want to, um, you don't want to engage with people who may. Um, activate your fight or flight response, which is often people who strongly disagree with you. But if those people come around you, say, especially during the holidays is where I encounter it a lot. People who have varying views within my family or old friend groups back home. So if you're not willing to say something, at least it it's it's the simple things. It doesn't always have to be a rah-rah march or um donating copious amounts of money. It could be volunteering at your local boys and girls club. It could be just small ways. You don't have to fully dedicate your life and just liberty and pursuit of happiness to a movement. But if it makes you feel good and if you know that you're working towards justice, do what you can. There was a powerful section of Tamika Mallory's speech that we weren't able to play at the Power to the Polls rally on Sunday in Las Vegas where she was saying the most important thing for white allies is to speak up in the places where people of color are not invited. She said, I want you to get uninvited from some Christmases and from th- some Thanksgivings, you know, that, that white people need uh, to speak up. Um, and with that, I think we're ready to go to our next caller. Caller, thank you so much for, uh, for calling. Welcome to Trump Watch. Uh, what's your name and where you're calling from? Uh, my name is Orville. I'm calling from Brooklyn. Okay, and Orville, uh, what what did you want to say uh, about this topic? Well, given the last thing you said, I'll quickly say uh, something to that. That I had, um, I have someone in my life who is white, and I refer to him as I'm, I'm friendly, and he would get sometimes very upset because I don't refer to him as a friend. Mm-hmm. And to me, a friend. Uh, and he's a good man. He's a good man, but a friend knows you. A friend understands you um there is a certain level of par and uh someone you're friendly with no matter how friendly you are there's something a little off about it what is missing Mm -hmm. but anyway um in terms of hearing i was the conversation is refreshing and and to hear that they put a, a symbol or image of harriet tubman on a hat um, I'm, I'm, I'm it's actually the reverse that. of that. They put yeah. the hat on a statue of Harriet Tubman, just to be clear here. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, abs- I'm, well, that's a little better, but I'm still annoyed. It's not better, but to think that I thought that I thought they reversed, but I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed at that greatly. Um, in, in terms of black folk, black men and women, I think there's a, div- trying to divide us is a regular thing, uh, the woman who just mentioned re- recently that the disparity between what white women make and what uh, black women make is, is obvious. 
and it goes on throughout uh, society and socially and, 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 and everywhere else from how we suffer environmentally, black women's rate of death and pregnancy. It just goes on and on and on. And I find this feminism thing very interesting to watch. I'm glad you referred to uh, Alice Wilker. I remember reading that, what she said, and other things. I think that it's interesting that Colin Kaepernick and Black Lives Matter kind of got kicked off the, the major scene. It was one moment it was there, and the next minute it was gone. I think that's interesting also. Now, I do believe that women... Black women need to be empowered just like black men, and we all need equality. But something is wrong and amiss here. And I think you've said a great deal, the woman who's talking, a great deal about what is going on. I, and I thank you for bringing this up and, and for the conversation. Well, thank you very much for calling. And this woman is, of course, Taylor Washington Harmon of Self. And if you'd like to weigh in on this subject, uh, you can talk to her at 347-335-0818. And Taylor there was something um, that Orville was saying that struck me, which I, I think is a really interesting or uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if interesting is the right word. It's sad that we that, sadly the case. But a big part of the Women's March is about pay equality. But as the, uh, Orville just pointed out, there is a huge pay inequality among women of color and white women. What are your thoughts about that? So that is particularly interesting and there's just been countless studies about you know black people and unemployment and i even did um, a thesis back when i was in college where i minored in women and gender studies about how likely someone is going to be hired based on how ethnic their name sounds so the fact that the that the pay gap and also the unemployment gap is so correlated it all makes so much sense like if we're not hiring people of color and then when we hire them we're not paying them what they deserve to be paid it's just a deep systemic inequality that needs to be changed and when people are hiring people of color are hiring women in general we well, one, it always is key to negotiate for your salary. I strongly believe in that. But at the same time, we have to be willing to give people of color and give women more. We can't say that just because they're a woman or just because they're a person of color. We can't assume uh, what their intellectual capacity could be. We can't assume what their work capacity could be and then base their salary on assumptions or stereotypes. And that's how I feel it all boils down to. So, yes, that gap is there. And, um, of course, like, women are going to want to fight for our pay, for our pay inequality. We're, we're fighting to change that. But at the same time, if we're not noticing these nuances in how black women make less than white women and how Latino women even make less than black women and then Native American women even fall lower on the scale, then who are we fighting for? What pay gap are we really against here? And white women that are hearing you say this right now who may be thinking, yes, I want to be an ally to African-American women, to women of color, what would you say to them? What are some of the ways that, that white women can help even out this pay equality? Even though, obviously, I realize it is, it is, I say this with the major caveat, which is that white women are still getting paid drastically less than men across, uh, uh, at least white men. I don't know exactly how that breaks down. 
among the demographics? I think across all the boards, we need to be open about how much we make. Um, I had an experience where a white male colleague was making a lot more money than I was in a previous position, and we had nearly the same um, work experience, and I didn't know how to bring that up at the time. I was I was nervous. I was afraid. I was like, I don't want to, um, I don't want to disrupt the peace, but if we're not willing to all be open about how much we make, and especially you know, among women, how can we change this? And if you find out that a colleague ha- who has basically the same amount of experience as you is making significantly less than you and is doing the same amount of work, then fight for her. Don't be afraid to. You have the upper hand here. So just be open about that. And I think we're ready to go to our next caller. Uh, hello, uh, please tell us your name and where you're calling from. Yeah, my name is Jose, calling from uh, New Jersey, Manhattan Heights. Hello, Trump Watch. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing good. So what did you want to <laughs> say to Taylor and Washington Harmon about this issue? Great show, by the way. Hi, Taylor. Thank you. Um, just Taylor. a comment, just, just some uh, string of thought. Um, you know, I, I, I love the fact that you use the word feminisms, plural, Laura F. Um, and also the fact that I, I think you need a multi approach to the issues we're having nowadays. I mean, I think a lot of us, males, females, we're encountering the same, I'm Hispanic, by the way, we, we do encounter the same issues, um, you know, at work, one of the places, but I think that the structures that are in place right now um, kind of prevent, um, you know, kind of prevent change. I mean, a lot of it is structured to prevent the type of changes that we want to make. I think we need to kind of start kind of from the ground, uh, ground up um, organizing, I mean, uh, you know, I think unions, um, you know, as much as, um, you know, if, they, if a lot of them have gone away, I think that they need to be rebuilt to a certain degree. And also uh, co-ops, I think we need to start supporting uh, our own businesses, you know, minority-owned businesses, maybe um, looking at um, the co-op structure as opposed to the structures we have right now in business. I think changes like that ultimately will probably, you know, yield, you know, some results for us. I mean, that's just, just a thought, you know. And the last comment I wanted to make was um, also that um, I don't, I think staying away from um, uh, hierarchies in these groups is a good idea. If you learn from the past and just realize that the moment you start appointing heads of, of, of these movements, that those can be targeted and those, as we've seen in the past, and those can be... Um, you know, kind of taken away to a certain degree, you know, but uh, that's what I wanted to say. Did so, you uh, just, uh, did you attend any of the women's marches this past Sunday? You know, I have, I, have, I did not. Um, and I mean, just for my own reasons, just I was busy with other things. But um, I, I do listen in. I do, uh, you know, um, contribute as much as I can financially as well. But, um, you know, it's, it's a learning experience for me. Um, you know, um, just being from the corporate world for many years, just not really having uh, my ear to, um, you know, so, sort of like BAI or, or these type of, it's just not something I was involved, involved with in the past, but, um, you know, change happens. Well, thank you so much <laughs> for tuning in and for calling in. And if anyone else would like uh, to call in on, on this subject, which is we're looking at if there are any divisions within the Women's March movement, if it's made some people feel marginalized, some women of color feel marginalized, trans people. And you can reach us uh, at 347-335-0818. And I think actually right now we're ready to go right to our next caller. 
And caller, are you are you there? I am. Uh, please say your name and where you're calling from. Sure. My name is Marcel. I'm calling from East New York. Um, I'm a longtime community activist, and I don't consider myself a feminist. And I'm going to tell you why, because I find this a very interesting call. I was just about to give up. I've been calling and calling. Oh, thanks for One trying. One of the issues, <laughs> thank you for the show. It's a very good program in terms of the young lady, and she's excellent in terms of her point. But one of the issues I wanted to bring up about why many black women are not participating in the whole feminist movement, at least from my perspective, the friends that I have, and I'm an older woman, I'm almost 60 years old, but I've been a member of community and done all sorts of activism that has to do with community-based agendas. Now, the thing about feminism and black feminism has been that besides the fact that we see when we are committing ourselves to other movements, we don't have the support when it's focused on our issues, is the fact that the division between black men and women, some feminist groups, and this is not to paint a broad brush with all of them, there's a, we perceive it on the grassroots level of being hostile towards our men. And whereas you may have feminist uh, support, you mean, in other words, the feminist agenda may have issues where we want to support, and we do. We look at it as a holistic picture. Now, if we just start separating out, well, okay, to be a feminist means that there's some, there, it, it's an implied suggestion that the men in our group are somehow not a part of what we're, we're considering the feminist agenda. One of the reasons is, we, we remember, if you go back in time in the history of these, these cities, when to have a black man in your home meant that you couldn't get certain uh, public, uh, um, uh, you know, services. Like public services, right. And so it always seemed kind of like a, almost an, a, an agenda to break up black family. So you won't find a lot of grassroots women of a certain age, especially. And I'm a person who will go out in the street for a lot of things. But when it comes to be like, we're black feminists, it always seems almost like a division between the black family. And so I don't know if that's been addressed. I've been listening for quite some time, but I, you know, I would love the young lady to have some kind of response if possible. Thank you. Taylin, uh, talk to Marcel. Sure. Hi, Marcel. So I have a lot of thoughts about this, um, about this issue. I've been thinking about it a lot, and I've identified as a feminist for several years now. And I've also been in relationships with men who may or may not have openly called themselves feminist. And um, just learning a lot about um, black Americans and their history with feminism, I have a lot of conflicting ideas and just histories. So one thing that I learned was the Moynihan Report and how it was kind of a means of demonizing um, homes that were led by black women. I'm not sure if you've heard about this report. It came out in the 60s. And um, as well as what you what I'm learning from you is that black women were not able to apply for certain public services if there was a man in the home. I feel as if I would need to do more research on that. I never really learned about that. So I I received so many conflicting histories about this. And um, just for personal understanding, I don't feel as if feminism was made to 
break up the black family. And quite personally, I, I don't find it fair. It makes it seem as if black men are inherently unsupportive of women by choosing to not support feminism. And I don't think that's the proper picture at all. And if a black man is truly supportive of black women, he's supportive of her liberation as well, not just feeling as if women have to sacrifice um, their well-being or their rights for the sake of being black and fighting for the black movement. We should be able to have it all in general in this country while we have life liberty in pursuit of happiness you shouldn't have to choose one or the other race or your gender and that's what's so nuanced about being a black woman is that you're kind of caught between both you're caught between um feeling as if you have to fight for your race or having to fight for your gender you shouldn't have to choose and i think we've got thank you so much for calling marcel we've got time for one last call caller we've just got one, 30 seconds here please uh make your comment quick uh, what's your name uh, and where are you calling from yeah yes hi this is my act from the cave um it's 653 I, I don't know why it's only 30 seconds but i'm enjoying the program tremendously uh, thank you very much i, I like uh taylor uh taylor, taylor. Get some of her <laughs> contact information the question is, I'd like her um, to know what era she was born in, whether she's a millennial, and also if she looks at the secret side. For example, we've been living a lie, and before that, since 2001, September 11th, that big lie and all the wars, and whether she thought about that, and I'll listen to her answer. Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much for calling and for listening. So what about that, Taylor? Um, well, to answer her most pertinent question, I am a millennial. I was born in the mid nineties. And uh, the wars are are you uh, are you are you? I, <laughs> I, I guess no that's a different show. On that. And that's going to do it for this week's show. You've been listening to Trump Watch with Jesse Lent. Uh, I've been speaking with Talon Washington Harmon, who wrote the self article, "Not My Pussycat Hat: Why I Didn't Participate in the Women's March This Year." Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for having me on the show. And uh, just one quick plug, tune in Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. on WBAI when I'll be guest hosting for Jordan McLean one more time on his show Making Music. This week I'll be playing some of my favorite protest songs throughout the years. Reggie Johnson engineered this program live. Special thanks to Samantha Kane. You can hear all 57 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is trumpwatchwbai. And I'll be back next Wednesday at our normal time slot at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down another aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. We watch the summer go.